Hey everybody, welcome to Heterodox Americana. This is a show about thinking outside the box and examining the conventional wisdom that informs how we think and shapes how we see the world around us. The question that we're ultimately trying to get at here is, how do our unexamined ideas impact our ability to thrive as human beings? And it's our intention to unpack some of these ideas, take a fresh heterodox perspective that hopefully leads us somewhere new. My name is Raphael Freeman, and I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Angie Backus, another one of your hosts. You know, before we get into today's episode, I really just want to go back to the gratitude piece. I know we did a whole episode where we were thanking people, uh, but I can't really express the tremendous amount of gratitude uh, that uh, we feel when people reach out to us and tell us what the show has meant for them and their lives, um, because it also means so much uh, for us. The love is palpable. And really, this project started out of love. Right? It started out of um, what it meant to love others and what it meant to love community and, and, and to understand how the ways that people disconnect um, when there's no need to be disconnected the way that we are. Yeah. Or seeing people suffering and they're suffering from an idea um, and that idea informs their pain and they never examine the pain and so the idea stays fixed. It stays in place without the examination uh, of that pain. And if there's anything that a coach and a psychologist can do together in a podcast is look at ideas um, and how they inform our pain and how they keep us stuck and how they keep us in place. Uh, And this was really um, a project of love that, you know, is designed to unburden people or at least help them in their process of, uh, of getting to a place where they feel less of that and being more connected and being more in communion and Hmm. being more of community and so um, it's just really uh, tremendous to, to hear back from, from listeners, and I'm just super grateful. And even though we had a whole thank you episode, I want to say thank you again. I like, I, I like that. <laughs> I think, yeah, let me jump on there. Um, I know, I think you've received a few even like personal texts this week, so have I. Um, and uh, I, I, I like where you're going with this, uh, the thought that ideas get stuck and keep us disconnected. Um, it's a good way of putting it. Uh, I was talking to you a little bit earlier about um, what happens when we um, disengage from each other. It's mostly, you know, for the, you know, the short of it is that perhaps at times we feel threatened um, right. by somebody else's idea. And I think by kind of taking ideas apart, and saying, don't be scared, let's just, let's just look at it. Um, maybe that gets us a little bit closer to thinking how we can do this together. That's the hope. Yeah, so I agree. Uh, I agree with you. Thank you to those that have hung in there with us. And um, it's kind of nice to know that we're on a journey um, all together. You know, I, I think you've been Agreed. looking at things like lately where there are listeners in like Spain and China and... <laughs> Uh, you know, across the globe. (laughs) You're like, hey, do you know somebody in Spain today? Us? No. Um, But it's amazing. I mean, that it's so humbling to know that, you know, we're talking, we're all talking together all across the world. And wow, how amazing is that? No, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. I do have to say, Um, you know, in that, in that same spirit of, um, 
you know, what it means to kind of look at our pain. Today, we want to talk about cultural appropriation. Yeah. And I'm going to, I certainly, uh, and why it's not a thing. Right. You, that's where you're coming from. Right. You're and, saying it's and, not. And just going to argue that it is a thing. I'm saying cultural well, you know, appropriation. going to ask some questions. Yeah. It's not a thing. Right. Um but also, you know, let's let's look at it and yeah, see where where that 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 thought is coming from. So the first thing I want to say is, if I haven't already said it, cultural appropriation is not is well, not is not a thing. You actually have said it. Right. <laughs> it's a it's times. totally not real. Yeah. So I think that we should. Well, I I was saying to you earlier when we were talking about this, I said, well, let's come up with a definition. And what did you say, Raphael? I know. What did I say? It's not a thing. You said it doesn't have a definition. You said it's a belief, and so it doesn't have a definition. Just somebody's uh, idea. Well, I probably said maybe it has a description, but not a definition. There you go. Let's do that. Yeah. So, can I read the description? How 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 about if we start with that? Sure. So here's the description of cultural appropriation. This is from Wikipedia, by the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> the grand source of all knowledge. Um. Cultural appropriation, at times also phrased cultural misappropriation, is the adoption of elements of one culture by members of another culture. This can be controversial when members of a dominant culture appropriate from disadvantaged minority cultures. So that's okay, okay. Uh, Wikipedia. So can I, can I say for the record oh, that I, I am going to be on my best behavior as much as I can be, because I'm clearly in the this is not a thing camp. That's good. You should be on your best behavior. And there's a reason for that. Right. Right. Uh, it's because it's not a thing. But so, but let, let's do you, a, do you just want to like say that? I just want to keep phrases, saying that it's or... not a thing. Um, but no, but let's, let's, let's look at the meat of it. Yeah. Uh, this idea. So here's, first I want to look at culture, right? Okay. And maybe I should have uh, looked up culture, but I have a really good understanding of basically what culture is. Okay. Culture is the way that a group of people do things over and over, especially through time. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and the, the really neat and interesting thing about culture is that one, it's not fixed. Two, it belongs to no one. It's not. There, there's no locality in it. Mm-hmm. And in, in this very important way, culture moves uh, through different geographies. Um and what we see in, in any culture is, so, so humans are really good at this, right? Uh, humans are really good at sharing information. They're really good at sharing ways of doing things. They're really good at sharing culture. Um, I would argue that the sharing of culture, which is why appropriation is not a thing, the sharing of cu- culture is the very <laughs> essence of what humans do well. It's what makes us human. In fact, I would argue uh, so we, we have some we have some really good kind of uh, archaeological is that the word uh, archaeological yeah. evidence for how how humans first started sharing these really important ideas uh, once they left Africa right and so you see on the other side of the Bab al Mandeb uh, the other side of the Red Sea when the people had left East Africa and ended up in, I guess, what is like Oman or Yemen or something like that now, um, there, are, there are all these hand axes, these axes uh, that are made out of stone that are done one particular kind of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it shows that the people were, were working on them. 
But the important part is not really the axis. There's this other little thing that um, that that they found that has it's like a stone that's a, that's a circle, and it has a hole in the middle. And as a tool, you might ask, what is this thing? Um, it's not a very good tool, but what it is is a very good symbol. So if people were wearing it around their neck, uh, in some ways it would identify them. So we love symbols, right? Right. Whether it's flag, uh, a cross, a flag, a cross, star and crescent, like humans are really, really drawn to mm-hmm. symbols uh, because symbols can encapsulate, you know, they can yeah. in, in here's my belief. They can envelop you. Right. They can encapsulate mm-hmm. uh, so much of like where Identity. somebody's coming from. Yep. What this allowed humans to do, though, is to transmit is to transmit different types of information very quickly to say, oh, you're trustworthy or you're not trustworthy. So if we were to take something like wheat Right. Mm-hmm. I want to take wheat. Okay. Which seems like it sprung up in Turkey. Right. Okay. Um, the planting of wheat is a cultural thing of ancient kind of Turkey of ancient Anatolia. Okay. The fact that wheat is now worldwide spread everywhere. There's not a human culture on the face of the planet now that doesn't consume and grow and cultivate wheat. How do they get that? Mm-hmm. They shared. Their culture, okay, which is so what humans do. Right. So you just really dove right in. Do you see that? Like you, you just Where said, else are we going to go? I'm not going for the three feet side of the pool. I'm going to jump into the 12 feet side of the pool. Yes. No, that is good. So that's where we're going to go. But let's start with current trends. How about oh, that? Okay. Because I, I got the, you know, the right. wheat. Oh. You got the wheat part. I got the wheat part. Right. Um, so let's let's draw it back or draw it uh, current a little bit. Sure. Right. So I was telling you about this uh, Madonna. She seems to wear the face of one of the faces of like this m- most uh, controversial cultural appropriation. This is that people really go at her. For okay. This thing. I don't know a whole lot about Madonna, but I'm, I'm no. I'm gonna I trust mean, her. I don't know a whole lot about Madonna either although I, I I must admit I loved Lucky Star that was like my era that album I bought it before okay. she was even that popular so wow. I just want to yeah so you were jump ahead, on you, that you I were don't, ahead of the curve yes I don't really appreciate now but god Lucky Star that album was great okay so wow. how old is so, Madonna 60 yeah she's 60 now so she I think she just turned 60 <laughs> she's probably not happy about that but so here's what happened. So she went to um, the video, the VMAs, the Video Music Awards, right? Okay. And her ensemble included this horned headdress, this heavy silver necklace, colorful tunic, and all these things can be found in shops in Morocco, which coincidentally, or maybe more uh, fitting, is where she spent her 60th year, like celebrating her 60th year in Morocco. Okay. So she buys these things. She shows up to the VMAs wearing all these things. So I guess it's people were like, "What? What's she doing? Like, why? Why is she wearing um, these things that belong to? They reflect this fashion of. Um, so you know how to pronounce this, Amazir? Yeah, that works. Amazir. Okay, they live in Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, Libya. The, the, these are the Berbers. The Berbers. The right. indigenous people. That's exactly right. Of North Africa before the Arabs arrived. That's right. So, um, so I guess forty percent to sixty percent of the population of there they are of Amazigh descent. 
but only in the last couple of decades their culture's been officially recognized. Right, the, the language, right? And, and promoted that. by the government, right. yep. So that's why now the markets are selling these things because they're I now see. able to do this. So that's why the markets had them. She bought them. I guess there's a lot of representation in what she was wearing, like brides wear them, they're, you know, headdresses, they have cones, um, they're usually worn in particular tribes and they have prominent horns. There's all kinds of meaning. Sure. So people were not okay with her adorning these things without the meaning being intact. So they were considering, here's Madonna, this wealthy, very multi-million dollar Billion, maybe? Billion? I don't know. Probably million. Not. Um, doing this so that she has some fashion sense without any of the meaning bestowed in terms of how, how she's wearing her adornment. And it is just what one representation, perhaps, of how a dominant culture, perhaps white people, have stolen from people that um, aren't white and do this thing where they take this as a fashion or fashion sense or they're kind of i'm so cool because look at i got i got this stuff from morocco of course she can travel right. to morocco and celebrate her sixth birthday because she has so much money so here so, we go i mean what how much money she has is not necessarily for me at least germane to this argument right? okay. this, this argument that you can steal someone else's culture or appropriate someone else's culture or whatever it is i think I'm saying the money thing because there's so much privilege. No, I mean, I hear you, right? right. Like, money is, is great. Some people have money, some people don't. But, they're, you know, they're privileged who are people who are selling their things in the marketplace, too. They could be selling other things, but they what they want to sell is these cultural symbols. Right. But let me, let me go back to what I think is the beginning mm-hmm. and why it's not a thing. Did I say that? Um, humans share culture all the time. Okay. If white people do it, we make a couple mistakes, right? We take this, this kind of very socially constructed idea of whiteness and then we equate it with culture right okay as if white people are a culture as if germans ate the same food that romanians ate and they don't right so there is no white culture i would say even in the united states okay there is no white culture what they do in appalachia is different what they do in the ozarks which is different what they do in florida right which is different what they do in New York City, yeah. right? So there, there might be a, a general thread of United States culture that, that kind of uh, maybe emanates through that or maybe emerges through that. But you wouldn't call it white culture in any meaningful kind of way because you have dis- disparate groups of white people in the United States that do different things, right? People down in the bayou. Uh-oh. Right, they're not doing the same thing. That's cultural appropriation. You start to have an accent. <laughs> That's right. I sit down in the bayou. <laughs> Um, but it, it, there isn't a culture mm-hmm. of, of white people writ large, right? And so we're taking this racial idea yeah. and, and trying to transform it into something else. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but the other thing is, what does it mean to steal a culture? What does it mean to steal? It doesn't mean anything. That's my argument. Oh, okay. You can't steal a culture. Um, Can you steal cultural aspects and then not nod, not give a nod or promote the people from whom you're stealing from? Let's talk about the headdresses, right? Okay. You know, I think most people don't know enough, uh, including myself. I think that it's hard to know because of the nature of... So I'm going to make an argument about uh, Native American feather headdresses. Okay. Right? And the nature of feathers, it's hard enough to know how they get preserved, right? Because mm-hmm. the feathers. But who started the feather thing? Was it all of the Native Americans at the same time? 
Um, we know that the Native Americans came in two really important waves uh, to the New World, and they're about 25,000 years apart, right? And they all have feathers. Uh, the Southern Native Americans, uh, and by Southern I mean we're talking uh, people who are Inca, people who are Toltec, Olmec, Aztec, Mayan, right? Um they had to have arrived first, one, because they're further south, but also their artifacts are older. And then you have people who are in North America. Um, you think Ojibwe or the old word Chippewa. Uh, you think about the aboriginals of Canada. You think about the people who are Creek or Lakota Sioux or whatever it is. Right? They all have feather headdresses. But did the North American Native Americans, the North American Indians, did they steal from the South American Indians and the Central American Indians? Or is it a slow cultural exchange over time? It's sure. It's a slow cultural exchange over time. But I don't know that these different differing tribes are saying, hey, this is like a fashion sense. Let me get on a stage and wear this like headdress so that I will have more cool points. Um, and I think that's a difference between like what you're exchanging or trading um, cultural sharing, as it were, maybe, um, rather than cultural stealing, which says, I have no connection to this whatsoever. Just bear with me. I, I, see, I, I see your face. I, I'm they don't, you. but I, I see it. So um, there is no connection. I just, I'm a West Philly hipster, and uh, I have this like feather headband. Right. And. I'm putting it on because it goes really cool with these like skinny jeans, right. right? And there isn't a sharing of culture there. It's mostly a a taking of something that they know nothing of. I, I hear you. So you're saying that there's no connection between, and you're going to pick on West Philly hipsters, but that's fine. Uh, they're they're pick on worthy. I, I'm okay with that. You're going to... Take somebody who's a West Philly hipster or any other kind of hipster. It could be a Williamsburg hipster. Yeah, I just happen right? to live in West Philly. Um, and say that they have no connection uh, to whatever culture that they are, right. quote unquote, stealing from. Right. But would you then argue that the Ojibwe do have some connection to the Mayans? Because I would argue that they don't. Um, now, if if you see them in your, you know, in however it is that you see the world, if you see them as they are somehow organically connected, then I would, one, maybe argue that maybe that's a little racist. Mm. Um, because any kind of connection that you say, oh, these people are all alike, yeah. is really, right, and they're, they have a 25,000 year separation between right. them. Uh, I don't know if they're connected, right? That's a great point. So, um, the, the, the other problem for me arises out of knowing the intention of other people. So we, let's say that they do have some connection, uh, quote unquote. Y'all can't see my finger yeah, quotes. Yeah, I was just going to say. I'm doing some finger quotes. There was an but air quote that let, happened. Yeah, let's say that under, the, it was an air quote connection. Right. Let's say that the Ojibwe have some quote unquote connection to the to the Toltecs. Okay. Um, we then have to pretend that we know what's in the heads of um, these Native Americans and these hipsters as they either share, exchange, or steal, or appropriate somebody else's culture. So, mm -hmm. in this very formulation that, that you made, you said, you know, 
that what was happening as these Native Americans were sharing, mm-hmm. let's say, headdresses, mm-hmm. is that it wasn't to make fun of. Right. It wasn't to be on stage and be cool. Or be fashionable. Or be fashionable. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, we we have no idea how, how the headdresses um, went from culture to culture uh, in the Americas. We have no idea. Right. Um, and it presumes, so it presumes two things. Uh, one, that we know what's what's happening in the minds of the people who observe the Aztecs and say, oh, we want to do that too. But it also affords them some some kind of... Uh, so uh, there, there, was a, there was a term that used to be thrown around. It was called uh, the noble savage, right? Right. Because when we talk about Native Americans in general... Um, people who, who are outside of the culture tend to do this noble savage thing. All of their intentions are pure. They're so connected to nature. They understand the earth. They use all the animal. All of this noble savage type language. We have no idea what was happening in the minds of the people who were in North America as they borrowed from the cultures of Central of Central America. Right. Uh, but we also don't really know what's in the mind of the, the hipsters either. The hipsters didn't say, I mean, I, I've seen hipsters on stage, but I've also known some hipsters who have never been on stage. Mm-hmm. And so it's not necessarily for them a thing. I don't ask them every time, hey, I see that you're wearing your headdress. Is that to be fashionable? Is that to be mocking? Is that to be respectful? Is that to be connected? I don't ask this of the hipster. But if we assign all of the nobility to the Native Americans and all of the evil to the white hipsters in West Philly or Williamsburg or other parts of Brooklyn, then we've made this other type of like odd mistake that it's like we're brushing everybody with the same stroke. Yeah. What do you, what would you say then, though? I don't I don't want to get too bogged down in the minutia of this, but uh, there's a you know the the headdresses often are a symbol of a spiritual connection. So I think, you know, there's a, could be a feeling of spiritual desecration. Okay. So uh, a, a sense of spiritual, what was the word you used? Desecration. The other one. Spiritual connection? Was yeah. That it? Mm-hmm. For whom? For the Native Americans. For all the of indigenous. them? Like the, the Native Americans have all agreed on this? Well, it, you know, I guess I'm not, I haven't researched every headdress that's ever worn. That, that's important, though. But one of, you know, one of the articles st- states that headdresses are worn for, like, spiritual okay, so, ceremonies. I mean, let, and... Let's examine this, because there's a willingness to look at the Native Americans as if they were a monolith. Mm. As if the Chippewa and, and, and the Cree and the Blackfoot, as, as if they were all the same. And maybe it's really important to the Cherokee. Maybe it's spiritual. But is it also spiritual to the to the I don't know the people who speak Nahuatl you know who are in Mexico now, the people who are in Chichicastenango is it is it important to them as well at a spiritual level because if it's not and they're still doing headdresses then we need to make a distinction between those people who are doing it for spiritual reasons and those people I don't know, let's we don't really have to uh, I, I, I to, at the end of the day. I don't care who does it for spiritual reasons or who does it for, let's say, ceremonial reasons or who does it for, like, we're just doing a dance today or whatever it is. But the willingness of of us to paint them as this this monolithic, oh, it's spiritual, really says that there there is no differentiation between 
any of uh, of these groups and let's just treat them as if they're one. So but for me, that's a mistake. Okay, so here's an argument. Is that, um, we'll just say white people, for instance. Okay. Um, they might take from other cultures um, without really... They get to take from other cultures but remain prejudiced against the people. So they'll, maybe they'll borrow something but not really have any kind of um, care or connection with those who they borrowed from. So they get okay. to, or even that they are prejudiced against them. Okay. Like, you know, I get this one person who wrote this article, she was saying that, you know, these Yelp reviews show up in the San Francisco Bay Area about uh, wanting to get authentic Mexican tacos right. without going to sketchy neighborhoods. Okay. So she's talking, her argument is, you know, you want the food, but you don't want to be around the Mexicans. And that's a problem. Right. That is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> that's a problem. I, I mean, bigotry is a problem. And so, and I think this is important. So then you would probably say, well, that's not cultural appropriation. That's bigotry, right? Yeah, no, bigotry difference. is a problem, right? If you... But is that right? You wouldn't say that's not cultural appropriation. That's bigotry. Yeah, it's not cultural. I mean, listen, if the idea is that we're appropriating the elements of some culture, we appropriate the elements of culture all the time. Mm-hmm. So let's take blacks in the United States, right? So somewhere around, I don't know, I, I you know, I, I so tend toward the hit toward the history. I'm going to spare y'all, um, but let's take the instrumentation, the instruments, the musical instruments of Europe, and the musical scale of Europe, which is, I mean, certainly, I would argue that the instruments, okay, are an artifact of European culture. We're talking about French horn. We're talking about saxophone. We're talking about the um, what's that thing called the trumpet. We're talking about the cornet. We're talking about all those things, right? Um, and even the, the modern guitar that we understand, because like, guitar is a very old instrument, even the modern guitar that we understand uh, is an artifact of European history. But also the notes that we use, because every culture has its own scale. They have their own like way that they uh, kind of do music, right? What an octave is, all this kind of stuff. Right. Um, that's all European. And the whites of this country kind of have a melange, right? This this hodgepodge of mostly European parts in their music. And so around the early 1900s, blacks get involved with European instruments. They call it jazz. And they introduce some new elements. But they also take the same instruments. They take the same scales. They take the same time signatures. And they create this thing called jazz. Now, jazz is amazing because it's the perfect... I think amalgam of European and African and privileged and and completely yes. in bonded, you know, uh, bondage. Um, it, it, it's the amalgam of both of those things. It's a dialectical relationship between the master and the slave, between the white and the black, between the privileged and the bonded. Right? That's what jazz is. But do we say that jazz artists have appropriated the culture of Europeans? But that... We could, but it's ridiculous. And I'll tell you why it's ridiculous. Okay. It's because it's what humans do. We see, we notice, we say, oh, that's cool. I'm going to do it too. That's how we share culture. But isn't that the difference between the oppressed and the, dom- and the dominant culture? I mean, I think this is the argument with cultural appropriation. It's not just that 
or sharing things. It's that a dominant culture takes from an oppressed culture. So jazz, the amalgamation of um, a few things there, but it's the oppressed culture having to kind of figure out what to do with their domination instead of the reverse. So I, I don't know, maybe the argument that I'm, I'm kind of posing is that an oppressed culture isn't, it's, that's not culture appropriation. The dominant culture is the one that appropriates culture. Real, I mean, that's convenient. So I, I don't see, if, if the argument is that one culture yeah. takes elements from another culture, you could introduce power elements into it, but I don't know how that makes it any more or less true. Um, it's just like people borrow from people all the time. Like, that's, that's what people do. Well, and just even in the have, very... Have you ever had a cookie? Cookies are delicious. But do we credit the Dutch when we make cookies? But the, So just in that, you know, that initial thing I read, it can be controversial when members of a dominant culture appropriate from disadvantaged minority cultures. So Sure. It could be controversial. It is, though, so, controversial. That's why we're having this show. Otherwise, we wouldn't have to do a show. It's not controversial. So I, I want to I get to the core of it. All right. Well, what I think of the core of it, right? Um, because I think the thing that I said earlier was, it's not a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's not a thing. Um, but so what is a thing? Uh, that's a great question. So why are we having this discussion? So what is a thing? I think that there are times, right. And I I don't want to be, maybe we should have started with this. There are times where people feel like, um, that they own this thing, that this thing belongs to them and they're outsiders who are taking it. They're outsiders who are using it in ways that are unapproved and, and, and used in ways that like no one said you could. But there's a false thing, you know, and, and that's important because I think it causes some sense of pain. And that pain is real, right? Mm-hmm. But but for all the wrong reasons. Um, but but let's, let's look at the ownership part. There is nothing at the cultural level that any culture anywhere owns, right? Um, I don't know how the people in... The Bronx felt when when Brooklynites start like rapping and trying to do hip hop shows, mm-hmm. but like hip hop started in the South Bronx, and then all of a sudden you got these Brooklyn dudes who are like trying to rap too. I have no idea what was happening for those people in the South Bronx. Yeah. Then you get people on the on the West Coast who want to be rappers too, and I can imagine all of New York was like, "Yo, these West Coast rappers, right?" By the time you have a white rapper. All of black people everywhere are like, and when I say all of black people everywhere, let me, let me walk that one back. There are loads of black people who are like, yo, white people can't be rappers. But you are black in Cincinnati. You never contributed anything to hip hop. You just showed up to listen to the music. It wasn't your contribution. People in the South Bronx, yes. People in Brooklyn, sure. Right? Cincinnati rappers, name one. I don't know none. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's funny. I don't funny know. Is Cypress Hill from Cincinnati? I don't know. The Cypress Hill fanatics are going to kill me. Um, but let me tell you how much I care about it. The point is this. Um, we... Well, I think that... Sorry. But I think that gets in even to this level of... Like, I've heard uh, arguments around Kanye not being able to be a real rapper because he comes from the suburbs. So, like, you get into these... Uh, degradations, gradations. Is that right. the word? Uh, sure. Can we just so, co- so, cover that somewhere up? Somewhere in between. Yeah, I mean, I think people are going to feel... 
But no, but there, there's something important in that. Um, it's about who is the keeper of the culture, mm-hmm. who gets to say, uh, and how porous are the edges of club? It's super porous. So I want to ask you a question, Rafael. This is going to be personal. Um, no, I love it when it's personal. But it's, it's going to be personal because it's like going out in the airwaves. So, um, and you and I have known each other a long time. And I may get this memory a little twisted. And I'm thinking you'll probably help me out. Long time ago, uh, somehow we ended up watching. There was something about Ellen DeGeneres and her beginning um, segment on her show. And she dances through the, uh, she dances through the audience. Right. And I remember you saying to me something like, this isn't a quote, but something like, this bothers me. And I was right. like, yeah, why? And you said, I think she's misrepresenting like my people or something like that. I was like, mm-hmm. misrepresent, she's not doing that. It's like, she's taking something. It was something around, she's not black, she's dancing like this. It felt uncomfortable. It, there was all kind. there's a connection around being black and watching Ellen doing this. And it felt incongruent to you or something. Are you remember this? Sure, yeah. No. Okay, so tell me about that. So this is interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Let's so Ellen it. DeGeneres is a comedian. And she is a comedian who, um, let's say she is privileged enough, uh, especially at the time where she had the show, right? right? So she hasn't always been super privileged in her career. But by the time she had the show, she was privileged enough that some of the cultural constraints that people feel uh, when they're doing a dance, uh, she didn't feel, right? Um, Now, as a comedian, you might feel like it's okay to be a buffoon. And I would say that what she engaged in was buffoonery. Hmm. Um, How do you you determine that she's engaged? Just like you determine, can't determine what, you know, Native Americans feel about their headdress. How are you gauging what... Ella DeGeneres is doing in terms of her buffoonery. How, how does she have that motivation? Well, one, I, I have no idea about her motivations. And I'm not talking about her motivations. I'm actually talking about her actions. Okay. In terms of her motivations, the question was how much time did she spend? Yo, when you grow up somewhere like learning a dance, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a black dance or anything. Like, you, know, you, could, you look at t- traditional Thai dance uh, or you look at traditional any dance. Irish right? Clogging. People spend lots of hours... Right. Figuring out the moves. Okay, so if, tell me if, about the if, if I come and just start doing Thai dance any old kind of way that I want to, you might call it buffoonery. So tell me about Ellen's buffoonery. What do you want to know about her buffoonery? It seems pretty close to what I think we're talking about in terms of cultural appropriation. So I'm not arguing that she stole a culture or appropriated culture or that it belonged to us. But you do have a situation, and we'll talk about the feelings, because really I want to get to the feelings of this, right? Uh, Because the feelings are what's driving it. But you have uh, one group of people who spend, let's say, weeks learning a dance. And someone else comes up and they say, oh, I like that. It's cool. It looks cool enough. I'm going to start doing it, having spent zero time learning the dance. Um... And it's really for entertainment. It's buffoonery. Now, is buffoonery a problem? No. Like people get to be buffoons. There, there are cultures that exist in the world. There are society. Let's say societies 
if that exist in the world um, that are not about the individual. It feels like you're just putting a different label on it. You're calling it buffoonery, but you were saying, hey, this might look a little bit like a dance that you stole from somebody, and I don't like that. I, so why can't we just call I, I, it cool? Well, I'm, al- I'm also saying that buffoonery is okay, right? You might have feelings about it. I might feel bad about it, but, but this is not a society that is going to put your feelings first, and it shouldn't. That's not what we're here to do. Uh, what we're here to do as Americans is really put something else first. And it is the spirit of individualism. It's the triumph of human potential. That's really at the center of who we are as a society. That's why we have this opening phrase of like, you know, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness and all of our unalienable rights. And I know people want to say inalienable, but actually it's in the original writing. It's unalienable. This is the heart of who we are as a society. Mm -hmm. And you might not want that, but that's cool. You have a couple options available to you. You could either find a society that is not centered on the triumph of the individual. Or you can set up your own sub-society, your own commune here in the United States. You're free to do so where we can protect all your feelings all day. Right, and everyone will respect each other, and they won't make you upset. What about and your people, feelings will be safe? What about the people who haven't ever been protected, like blacks in this country? Um, what, what about them? What I mean, because it seems like you're talking about people that we get to understand this through the eyes of equality. I don't know. If everybody's equal in this country. Okay, so your your question of what aboutism, right? Like, so you said, what about the right. what about what about them? What's your actual question? Well, because you're saying, well, you can live in this country and deal with it, or you can set up a commune. What do we, why don't we just address what's disproportionate? I think we can address what is disproportionate, but that's a different conversation than the one that we're having, which is about (laughs) cultural appropriation and it not being a thing. Well, I think cultural appropriation is not a thing. No, that's your thing. Uh, I think that is, um, it is a part of addressing why, what, how things are just disproportionate. You know, uh, here's the thing. I do think, okay, can I tell you a story? I'd love for you to tell me a story. All right, let me tell you a story. Um, so I dabble (laughs) in music a bit. Um, and I've, you know, sung and written music throughout the years. And um, at one point I I got very interested. This was about, I would say about 20 years ago in Philadelphia. I got really interested in the blues, right? I loved it. Um, I thought it was rich, deep, resonant, beautiful. Um, And so I started kind of writing bluesier songs and maybe singing and performing more of this blues. I was kind of in the blues genre for a minute. Gotcha. The genre of blues. Thank you, Raphael. That was very well summed up. The genre of blues. And I had a good friend who I deeply respect as a musician and as a person. She's amazing. But um, she told me, and she told me, at the time when I was doing more of this bluesy stuff, she she's a black woman who's a musician, writer, composer, and she said to me, "Oh, Angie, you can't do this. You can't sing this." And I was like, "Oh, why?" She said, "Because you aren't a woman of color who has been 
deeply affected. You can't really sing the blues um, with <laughs> Rafael. Stop laughing. Go ahead. I'm listening. You can't really sing the blues with the way the blues need to be represented unless you have all of the elements of what you bring to the music. And you're not a woman of color. And the blues are about and were written out of a lot of tragic turmoil for black people. Hmm. And um, it stopped me in my tracks, honestly. And I was like, oh, that's true. I mean, at the time, I have to be honest. I had gone through something very hard, (laughs) very, very hard in my own life. And I was like, but I have kind of felt a lot of blues. But I did respect this idea that this music came out of a particular time and culture of which I couldn't represent it fully. And, you know, since then I thought, oh, it was before the word. I guess I was looking, I was reading a lot about cultural appropriation because we were doing the show. And I guess the word became um in in the in the vocabulary became something in in the 80s so this was beyond the 80s so i guess the word was there but people weren't using using it liberally like Mm. they are now Mm. and so i didn't know the word cultural appropriation but looking back on it that's kind of how i would say i feel like i was appropriating something that really wasn't mine to appropriate and borrowing something I shouldn't have borrowed. Let's look at the difference between culture and race again, because I, I really want to ask this question. If someone is from Prince George's County, Maryland, and they grow up, uh, which is one of the, the, the wealthiest uh, black communities in, in, in the country, and let's say they have two six-figure uh, earning parents, right? Okay. And they grow up in a private, mostly black school. Okay. And they haven't really known any hardship at all. Can they do the blues? Are you asking me? Be sure. Because <laughs> um, culturally, it's not the same. It's not about hardship. And, you know, the, the culture that you have when you grow up with two six-figure earning parents in, in a relatively have, isolated community. If they're black in this country, they probably have the legacy of slavery. So, maybe. I mean, that's a big probably, right? Like, I've known some people from Prince George's County, and I gotta say... Their experience is different than mine. Mm-hmm. It's not what I really wanted to say, but it's different. Okay. So, where is is it possible to confound race and culture? I think the answer is yes, and people do it all the time. But culture is the way that we do things together as a given community. It doesn't matter what the community is. It's the way we do things together over time. Mm-hmm. And that's not the same as race. And when I first started listening to T.I., I could barely understand what he was saying, right? I go to the South, I'm like, what? Like, I am a Philadelphia Negro. If you don't know the book, look at the book. Uh, there's a term, it's out there. That's who I am, hmm. right? And, and, and to say that the culture hmm. of people that we think of as a racial group is the same, there are foods from Atlanta that I don't recognize, there are foods from, uh, I, you know, like St. Louis, gooey, like, right? Gooey butter cake. Right, whatever, right? So I, there, good. there are, yeah. at, at many levels of culture, mm-hmm. food, language, terms of address, uh, respect for elders, um, dance, dr- dress. There's so many places that I can go to in this country and be in a quote-unquote black community and feel culturally alienated. Mm. So is it the same culture? 
or are we are we confounding the idea of race and culture? Uh, I would argue for the latter, mm-hmm. that there is not this monolithic culture that people borrow all the time, um, and that no, I, so you have a trip. You know, it sounded to me like you had some faith in this person's musicianship. I, I definitely do. And she had some feelings around things that were outside of her area of expertise, right? She was not a sociologist. She was not a critical theorist or a philosopher or an ethicist or anything else, right? And it happens enough. We all have our opinions. And sometimes those opinions are informed by our feelings, which is really what I want to get to anyway. Um, there's a feeling element to it that I think all those people who are crying, oh, this is cultural appropriation, I think that they are feeling something. Uh, and th- their feelings are real. Yeah. But I really want to examine those feelings and get to what's underneath them. Um, certainly, I have felt, um, and I, I, I think you might describe the phenomenon as something that feels like it belongs to you. Mm-hmm. Um, that other people are just having their way with. Yeah, because you know, little side note, you coming from Philadelphia, and I've heard you talk about like, these people don't know how to say this word, John. I don't want to hear them say this word because they act like they know. Exactly. And, yeah, so... John John is probably the perfect example... Yeah, and you get non- all heated, Rafa. Of non-Philly like, people... Stop it. ...trying to do John. Okay, so right? tell me about that because I've seen but, you... Okay. all up in arms I, I, about somebody. All I'm saying is that my feelings are my feelings... And I want to separate the feelings from this other kind of thing that we're making it into something moral or ethical because it's not that. So when somebody so says... There are some things that I think we have feelings about. And it feels as if it belongs to us. Right. right? And do you feel... Let me ask you personally. Do you feel like that word belongs to you? Just like, let's work through this. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. I grew up saying John. Right. 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 There was no. There was no point at somebody would say, "Oh, what was was John?" And just just for right? the record, how do you pronounce that word? It's John. There you go. Okay. It's not John. It's not John. Doesn't rhyme with lawn. Doesn't rhyme with, with dawn. If you're from Philly, it rhymes with on. on. Turn the lights on. Not turn the lights on. What it? I, I'm sorry. I don't want to have this linguistic thing, it's right? Um, but uh, the point is, it absolutely felt like it belonged to me, mm. especially as a black male Philadelphian or was a black Philadelphian period um, but that feeling uh, in some ways I think in a very real way we have to separate that from the reality of the thing right uh, I don't own it when I go to North Philadelphia and see that the, there are West Philadelphia things that people are doing I'm like yo which are y'all, y'all not from right but I don't own it and there there is none of us that owns it uh, but more importantly, if we can, if we can kind of move out to the feeling that you have, is what, which is what I, I kind of wanted to get at earlier, there is a feeling that people have that they are having their way with something that belongs to you. But there's this other thing that we know about humans is we tend to take possession of things really early, right? So if you look at toddlers, it's like mine, mine, right? Yeah. We feel like there are things that belong to us. It was like. Yep. Listen, toddler, two-year-old, you literally have bought nothing ever. Right. You don't have a job. Don't pay bills. Yep. You scream. You probably shouldn't be in b- diapers anymore, but point. you are. But the human feeling of I own this happens very early, and it's hard to divorce yeah. 
this feeling of it belongs to me from a more kind of almost like intellectual sense of like it doesn't belong to me. Uh, There's an analog to this, uh, if you'll allow it, because we're like way over. But there's an analog to this. If you have a screwdriver in your hand and you start to um, feel a screw, right? You might say something like, I can feel it. And in your brain, your brain has extended your body through the screwdriver. That screwdriver in that moment feels like an extension of your body. Mm-hmm. It feels like, oh, I, can, I, I think I can touch it. Mm-hmm. And that's not real. What's happening is, oh, I can sense the screw through the vibration of the screwdriver. But that's not what we do. What we say is, oh, I can almost feel it. I can almost touch it. And it's a very human thing to do. It's very connected to the way that we feel possession and we extend our sense of self into things which is a human thing to do, right? And I'm saying that even at the cultural level, we extend our sense of self into things and we perceive it as ours or as being an extension of us. And th- that is fine. I'm not arguing against it because it's, it's, it's instinctual. But what I'm saying is that it's not true and it's not real. And the reason that's important, I would argue in terms of this, this cultural appropriation uh, argument, is because we do end up having these very real feelings about it um so let's look at the feelings the feelings are normally some some version of hurt right um there's something that i value there's something that i treasure there's something i work on something that i feel like is an extension right. of me which is not being valued in the right way it's not being respected in the same right. in, in the right way or however we deem the right way uh it's not being honored in the right way um but even deeper than that is our general right our general pain of being in the world Right? And so when we look for solutions for it, hey, you're not honoring my culture in the right way. Mm-hmm. And it makes me feel pain. You're not honoring my traditions in the way that I want you to. And it's making me feel pain. The question for me that's underneath that, right, is what is the source of your pain? What is the source of your strength? And what is the source of your worth? Now, when you don't understand your own worth, your own source of pain, um, when you don't understand your truest self, then the world, right, the, the outside world is in fact a source of pain for you. But it's, I mean, it's not just cultural appropriation. It's like who voted this way or what these people did or what these people said, right? And they're not doing it the right way. But a lot of this is trying to control the outside world, which you cannot do, in order to curb their behavior so that you feel safe in the way that you want to feel safe, so that you feel comfortable in the way that you feel comfortable. And I would argue that as long as the locus of control is outside, right. if you're a minority, right, if you think, if I can get white people to do exactly what I want white people to do and not dance the way that I don't want them to dance, then I'm going to feel okay. One, it's a lost cause. And two, you have mislocated the source of your pain. How people do or share culture is not the source of your pain. The source of your pain is the fact that you don't, one, know yourself, and two, don't understand your worth. Once you understand your worth, once you understand your value, once you understand yourself, then you understand that the pain of the outside world is really you trying to control something that you can't control, and those are the outcomes. Mm -hmm. So there's this Buddhist term that's called dukkha, right? Dukkha is the idea of, of we trying to control the outside world so that we feel better. But if you can control your inside world, your internal world, 
then the outside world has no control over you. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of cultural appropriation, I would argue, is a source of dukkha. It's a source of external pain or perceived external pain and you wanting to control what the outside world does so that you feel better. But it's misguided. Yeah. Wow. That's kind of uh, amazing and deep. But here, here's my thought. Um, I think because there has been so much pain, particularly with blacks in America and white oppression or white people oppressing, um, we're starting at a place that in terms of individual pain, I, I feel like it's more of a collective pain. And I think that we're trying to figure this out collectively. Um, this this dominant, you know, oppression uh, is is not just about me personally. It's about a whole people, right? Okay. And so, yeah, I mean, we can all work on ourselves individually, and that's a good thing. But you know, even we talk about community so much and this collective understanding of how things work, and I think this collective oppression is not easily dismissed. It, it can't be just said, hey, go find your corner and do this, like, you know, Zen practice and you're good. Um, so, so. I, one, I agree, right? Um, it's not easily dismissed. And I don't want to dismiss uh, this very human sentiment of, of the pain of our existence. Uh, and I would argue that no matter what your circumstances are, you feel this pain of existence. If you are a cis hetero white man at the top of the you know sociological chart, mm-hmm. there is some angst, there's some pain in your existence that you cannot, maybe you don't even recognize it, but even if you do, you can, it's hard to grapple with. Um, and, and the Buddha saw this insight, you know, 3,500 years ago, however many years ago. Uh, it, it's an insight that still is true today. So it's not unique to right. people who have been oppressed, so to speak. Um, but so I, I agree with you. It's not easily dismissed. But then people who feel this, let's say, in addition to their existential angst, let's say that they feel this oppression uh, pain as well. Let's say that that's a thing, right? Uh, and you can argue that's a thing. I think that is a thing. What are you going to do? Are you going to task the oppressor with your relief? Are you going to say that I'm going to be on the pain hook forever until white people do the thing that I want them to do? Or will you figure out a way to unhook yourself? Because if you're waiting for the, your, your perceived oppressor to be responsible for your freedom. You're still pretty much. I'm going to look at my control. watch and say yeah. you are going to be on the hook for a long time. And you can do that. But the question is what type of life do you want? If you want freedom, you cannot wait for anybody else. If they look like you or if they look completely different than you. You cannot wait for anyone else to free you. If you want freedom, that task starts inside and you have to do it. Now, you can talk about, I, you know, sometimes I hear people talk about trauma-informed experience, you know, whatever, right? That's cool. And if you want to look at your trauma, if you want to delve into your trauma, if you want to really uh, excavate it and see what's happening, that might be important. It won't free you. If you want freedom from it, you're going to have to do it. And if you wait for someone else, you will be raiding until you die. Okay. Um, wow. 
<laughs> I don't really know what to say. That, okay. I think uh, we're past time. <laughs> this we're, is my job now. I have to like we're, we're close up this crazy. We're literally double time now. Unbelievably uh, moving uh, yeah, process. And there's more to say. Um, I mean, certainly, you know, as even what I do in life, like what you were just doing. I mean, it's like there's this deep excavation individually. Do I believe that there is a deep oppression um, in this country formed on, you know, on this premise of how people have been kept down, uh, particularly through, um, you know, slavery and Jim Crow and beyond? Yes. But, uh, yeah, there's this also this uh, freedom, this internal freedom that we get to access that... when you were talking about it it almost felt like it was the freedom beyond freedom like you don't have to depend on white people thank god to uh be the uh the freer um i think that's probably you know hundreds of years old and and is and has a place in history but thank god that you know white people don't hold your hold anybody's freedom anymore um which yeah that's what i want well, what probably we all want. I, I don't even know what to say now. I just think we need to uh, close. Well, we can do. It. I mean, it's my one, job. So, Let's close so, it up. Certainly, one of the things that I, that I have is, uh, I mean, so much of the inspiration ha- has that we've gotten is from people reaching out and telling us what is on their minds and asking us questions. Mm-hmm. And if you have a question or if something is on your mind or if you mm-hmm. wanna, you know, push back, then push back. Let us know yeah. uh, either at host at heterodoxamericana.com you can certainly find us on the website. You can find us on Facebook. Um, but, you know, if there's a question, ask. If there's some pushback, push back. If with whatever is on your mind, we would love to hear and, uh, and integrate that into the shows moving forward. Yeah, so I let think us that's, know. Yep, I think that's a great call. And if you want, if you think you're a candidate to be on the show and have a rebuttal, show up that way too. Tell us because we're open to that. Um and I think, you know, eventually what we'd like to do is collect a lot of these questions and just have a show with your questions and um, kind of get to this, like, deeper place that we all need to go, which is what we're trying to do. Right. So, yeah. So let's, uh, yeah, for um, Heterodox Americana, I am Angie Backus. And I'm Rafael Freeman. And, uh, yeah, tremendous thanks. We'll see, see you. See ya.